You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's wonderful to have your company. My name's David Frizzell, and in this episode, we're going to talk about one of the more difficult parts of being a leader, having quality career conversations. Greg Smith is an expert in career conversations, talent management, and organizational leadership, and he joined me to chat about the art of leading powerful career conversations. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Greg Smith. Greg Smith, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Terrific, David. Great to be here. Right. Now, Greg, we've had a bit of a chat about what we're going to talk about, but I'm going to throw you a curly one straight up. Yeah. I often do this when people have an interesting name. Your name is Greg Smith, but you're from Victoria, aren't you? I am. You are. So I don't know. Are you familiar with rugby coach Greg Smith? Uh, not really. So it may not be much of a curveball. <laughs> oh, well, it is. It's a fantastic curveball because it's a, it's an amazing story. I remember it taking place in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I'll tell you about Greg Smith, and I'll tell you my listeners about Greg Smith. By the way, listeners, yeah. we're going to get into a fantastic conversation about career development, but this is a this is a time to reflect on the past. There was a guy called Greg Smith who was a fantastic provincial rugby coach. He was having all sorts of success at the Brumbies, and there was a lot of noise for him to become the next Wallabies coach, and eventually he did. And he went in with this tremendous record of being a tremendous provincial coach. And what do you reckon happened at Wallaby level, Greg? What? Crashed and burned and the players hated him. It was one of the worst periods of Australian rugby. And Mm. there were all sorts of awful stories that came out about what was going on. Who was this guy that used to be so successful and all of a sudden is so terrible? They eventually sacked him after a a beleaguered period of being the Wallabies coach. And then you know what they found out? He wow. had a brain aneurysm and he died shortly afterwards. And his wow. time as Wallaby's coach was characterized by that change in personality that often happens to people when they have yeah. a brain aneurysm. And in hindsight, it explained all of this terrible change that happened to this man who was once so successful and so popular with his players who transitioned mm. very quickly to being the exact opposite. It's a bit of a yeah. tragedy, a, a tragic story in Australian Terrible. sport. Mm. So you didn't know anything about that, Greg Smith? No, I didn't. I'm I'm very delighted to hear about the story. Yeah, there you go. It's a sad story, but uh, but I I I do like to reflect on the fact that he finished in terrible circumstances, but he actually was a really successful coach and really popular. And it's just that really awful twist of fate that took place. But look, that's that's a massive aside. Now, Greg, this Greg Smith, the Greg Smith we have with us tonight, and we're lucky to have you, Greg a career of HR work, a career of understanding the importance of having quality developmental conversations and and understanding that that's actually something that's really difficult to do. So Greg, I do a lot of leadership development and it's very difficult to define leadership, but I, you know, I've kind of distilled it over the years down to these three really essential parts that leaders need to do. One is to communicate a vision. Where are we going? Where are we going as an organization? Where are we going as a team? Where are you going as an individual? And the second part is to motivate people along that journey towards the vision. And the third part is developing my people along the way. And my listeners have heard me talk about that a lot. 
And the funny thing about leadership is that often we're very aware of those first two and either we we do, most people do them quite well or at least they're very aware of their obligation to do those two things well, articulate a vision and motivate our people. But it's that third one, that developing our people along the way that leaders so often don't understand clearly and more often than not completely forget about. And what you're coming to us with tonight those quality developmental conversations is it at the core of that third piece. So I'll ask you, Greg, why is it that as leaders, we have so much trouble? Why is it that that third one, developing our people, is so often forgotten? Yes, terrific question. And I think it falls into three camps. One is I don't have time is a common one that I can mm. often come against, come up against. And of course, it's a bit ridiculous, really, because it just all it means is that We've chosen not to prioritise it in our mm. um, in our leadership hierarchy. So the, uh, the I don't have time is really a furphy. The other one is I'm, I'm afraid of the consequences, particularly around career development discussions because, you know, that's, that's very real for some leaders because they can be anxious about perhaps making or getting involved in commitments they can't follow through on or getting involved in a, a discussion that takes them down a route that they can't deliver on whatever's whatever's being discussed. So it can be a very real thing about the the fearful of consequences. Sometimes they're just concerned about not wanting to open up Pandora's box. It can be quite as simple as that. Oh gosh, you know, you can't you can't ask that because, you know, you never know what, what that's going to raise. But it's actually quite ridiculous to think that the only time that people are thinking about their careers is when their leaders ask them a question about yeah. it. Because the reality is on a daily basis, employees walk into their workplace they're probably thinking about their careers, whether they're being asked or not. So, you know, what I say is we'll get on board and, and start talking with uh, start talking with your employees. And the uh, the third one is I don't know how, and that's probably and where I really, I suppose, got the, the inspiration to write the book because it's actually not your point that why leaders don't do it. It's actually not that hard and to be able to have career development discussions or, in fact, any development discussion once you know how. And it's a skill and fortunately it's highly trainable. So they're the three top things. In my experience with particularly career conversations, some leaders seem to avoid it almost at any cost. And you kind of do that at your peril because you can bet your your bottom dollar that the headhunters are roundly approaching your talent all the time, trying to unseat them much, you know, trying to get them to feel perhaps I'm not happy in my career. If you're not talking with them, you probably won't know that's even going on, yeah. uh, let alone being able to do anything about it. So it's a really about opening that up. I'm really interested in that point that you made about you, the second reason that leaders don't do it, I'm afraid of the consequences. You make yeah. the point that while I, I might be afraid of opening Pandora's box and creating a commitment that I can't follow up, which is that that's laughable. It's terrible as well yeah. because it sort of says – I'm motivated in this point of time, but I know it probably won't be a habit. I know yeah. I should be doing it, but I I know I won't be doing it in three weeks' time or six weeks' time when we need to have a follow-up conversation. But you mentioned that part of the craziness of that is that, of course, all of our employees are constantly thinking about their career. I mean, you and I are constantly thinking mm. about our career, no matter what point we're at. So there's a really interesting space that exists within those two things, isn't there, that I I don't want to do it because I don't want to fail at this and I don't want to open Pandora's box and I don't want someone crying and I don't want to hear news that I, 
I don't want to hear and I, I don't want yeah. to start something that I'm not going to follow up. But all the way over here, we've got people thinking every day at some level about their own career. So there's that massive space of missed opportunity between leader and follower or employee or employer, isn't there? And and I'm wondering in your experience, how much damage can be done in that space that exists between those two truths? Huge. And it goes right to the seat of, re of retention, David. I think that, you know, not having the conversation leaves a void. And that's what I was getting at before with headhunters or talent scouts, you know, who are, who are targeting that void all the time, looking for employees and particularly talent ones who perhaps are not getting the feedback or not getting the development that they should they would like to be getting and then sort of plugging away at saying well come to us <laughs> so yeah it's, you know, quite it's like a, any it's, relationship isn't it yeah that's right you know, come like, over to like, us like, you know, yeah and they'll paint like trying a, to, a, sorry you no, go. go on no go on i was just going to say they'll paint a very they'll paint a very attractive picture We've got like half a second lag here that was killing us there, Greg. It's kind <laughs> of like anyone trying to court someone who is a an ignored spouse of someone else. That's exactly the same dynamic, isn't it? That's right. So the consequences of not are grave, and that becomes clear, and we'll talk about that through the conversation. And by the way, listeners, what we're going to do towards the meat of this is we're going to get Greg to pin down those top five skills or the top five things we need to know in order to have terrific career conversations with our people. But let's talk about it. So people are afraid of the consequences. Let's dwell on that a, a little more. How bad can it get? Let's just say there is something to be scared of. You know, I can reduce the risk of that. I can mitigate that by being good at it. I can reduce the risk of that by being committed to it. But what are the bad things that can happen? What are the horror stories of having career conversations with your people? What, what's, how, how bad can this get? Well, I guess it, it, in its simplest form, it can be a surprise resignation, which, you know, for someone who's really important in your organization, is a big issue because, you know, if you, at least if you know it's coming, you can plan for it and maybe even do something about it. But if it's a surprise resignation that turns up on your desk and then you're scrambling for, for what to do about it, and it might leave an enormous, uh, enormous technical hole or other hole in your organization that actually takes you time to plug. So it can actually have a big impact on productivity. It also, too, if you get those sort of resignations that come certainly, and particularly ones by surprise, it can unsettle the rest of the team because they can be sitting there saying, well, actually, maybe I was feeling okay about things, but maybe I'm not. You know, maybe I should be looking elsewhere. Maybe things are better or greener, um, you know, elsewhere. So I just want to make a point, too, about coming back to something else you said before about understanding people or employees and that's about understanding their changing needs the needs you have you know at say 25 are going to be different to the needs you're going to have at 30 or at 30 when you're 35 for instance so it's really up to leaders to really get in not just understand their employees needs but also their changing needs and the only way you're going to do that is by talking with them but coming back to your point about how grave it can get if once by the time a resignation lands on your on your desk, it's pretty much too late to recover the relationship. And in most cases, what I've seen is where people have been talked around into staying, usually they'll leave within the first twelve months after that. Because the reasons right. that they resigned in the first place are still there. Haven't gone away. And, yeah. and and so they generally don't work. But 
Also along the same line, though, where you actually can plan it, maybe in, with the development conversation you might be having, it might be, and this is hard for leaders to get their head around sometimes, that they might actually have to leave to come back, if you know what I mean. So, mm. But that's in a plan way. So you'd say, well, look, I've had employees where they want to start their own business. And I said, well, look, I'll help you to do that. And we, you know, and I know in two years' time, if we've done a, a great job, they'll be ready and we'll be ready for them to go. And maybe they'll come back to us again. But the relationship is preserved. And that's the key to it. And I think, you know, a really basic so- social norm is around reciprocal commitment. And when commitment is not reciprocated, one party withdraws from the relationship. And in business, what ends up happening is, and well, when they withdraw from the relationship, uh, financial considerations tend to rise to the surface. And in business, what that practically means is they'll start complaining about their money or their remuneration, when in fact it's probably got, it may have something it's to do with that. it, but more than likely it won't. It's not that. Same in um, personal relationships, in partnerships. When a partnership breaks down on a personal front, often they'll start arguing about the assets. So it's a very, mm. very similar thing, as you said before, coming back to the the, uh, the parallels between personal and business can be much can be very similar. And that all comes down to building trust. So are the consequences of doing bad career conversations, having poorly designed or badly executed or poorly skilled career conversations, are they worse than not having them at all? (laughs) You know, what a great question. Look, I I would say any conversation is a good one, but you're right. Not all of them, not all of them practically are. So, yeah, and it, perhaps a, a way to, as an example of that, would be around uh, performance reviews. So performance reviews are almost universally hated by managers and employees alike. And, uh, well, so the old-fashioned ones, you know, the old tick-the-box type scenario where the manager's not that motivated. They just want to get through it because they've got HR on their back and the employee is not that fussed either because they don't feel like anything's going to come of it. And particularly around the development side, that's usually where it falls down. But the badly executed performance reviews are terrible and they are definitely worse than doing nothing. You'd be better off not doing anything than having a rotten performance review. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Such an interesting concept, those quarterly or yearly or half-yearly performance reviews that every organization has. You can see what is motivating it. You know, I started off this show by talking about the three things that leaders do and the third thing being the most important thing that leaders so often don't do, and that is those career development conversations or, or developing our people. So HR have stepped in and said, all right, well, let's put a process in around this thing that is so important, but people do yeah. really badly. And it's well-intentioned, but I'm yet to really be part of an organization where they're appreciated and done really well. They've kind of structured what should be an organic, natural process. Is that the problem that lies at the heart of the quarterly reviews? I think you've nailed it absolutely, David, is that that they tend to be, or they can tend to be, bureaucratic, and the focus is on the process rather than on the conversation, and exactly what you're talking about. And that's why, partly why people hate it. They also, employees also, what is really toxic is where they get a performance review that they simply don't agree with or a performance ranking they can't agree with. And worse still, 
where their leader or their manager can't provide the evidence for some of the behavioural competencies they might mark them down on. So they'll mm. say, well, yes, you're not doing this, and but when they're challenged, well, show me the behavioural examples of what you're talking about. They actually are not prepared. Yeah. Either they don't have them at all or they haven't come to the meeting to the session prepared with it. So I think that the whole problem is is what you said, focusing on the process rather than focusing on the conversation, which requires a lot of listening rather than talking. I read this fantastic article just recently about having performance conversation. It was called The Feedback Fallacy by Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. And it talked about, it gave this really fantastic analogy about 360 degree feedbacks or or even just quarterly reviews generally. And it talked about the fact that we all, when asked our opinion on our colleagues, you know, we've all been asked our opinion on our colleagues for 360 degree mm. feedback. We mm. all have this completely systematically flawed opinion. You know, we're, we're built of, of bias and we're looking at someone else through our own lens, through what we value, through our own paranoia and anxieties and our own joy yeah. and all of those mm. things. And we think that if we're doing a 360 review, that's cast the net really wide. And the analogy mm. they gave is it's like asking someone who is colorblind to tell you about the color of that rose. And because mm. you know that their opinion is flawed, what you do is you ask 50 colorblind people to tell you <laughs> about that rose, and then you yeah. average the feedback that you get. And then as the recipients of these surveys, these 360-degree feedbacks, we're supposed to take that colorblind analysis of our personality and take it seriously and base mm. our entire developmental profile on this full on feedback that we get. And mm. it just amazes me. And, and I think a lot about these quarterly reviews, where, as you say, we focus on the process rather than on the conversation. And I'm going to ask you really soon to tell us what great conversations look like mm. and where and when do we have great conversations that are about mm. the development rather than the process. But before we get there, I have one other question. Essentially, I've only got two questions for you left. Tell mm. us about bad conversations. What do people do? Think of people who know they've got to do it, so they try and do it. They try and do the right thing. What are mm. some of the things that people do really badly when it comes to these types of conversations? Well, um, in line with what you're saying about the, they're well-intentioned, sometimes people just come to meetings with a negative intent. You know, They think that there's perhaps something going on that there isn't. So my advice is to assume positive intent, and that's a big one. It's one of the... One of the five I was going to mention later, the top five, you know, come to the meeting with positive intent. Indura, uh, Indra uh, Nuri, who was the, up till recently, the chief executive of Pepsi, who, where she'd been for a number of years, she, we can track it back to her, this notion of positive intent, back to about 2008 when Forbes magazine asked her what was the best advice she ever got. They asked a range of executives. It was a series they ran back then about what was the best advice they ever got. And she said, I got this advice from my father about assuming positive intent and you can't believe what happened and how much better things were by just assuming positive intent. So I think coming to a meeting, assuming some agenda that's not there, so come with an open mind, you certainly would be the advice, but not come with a closed mind. It would be, you know, one of the, the big ones. I think not when you do have meetings and if they, you know, they might be informal, but more than often they'll actually be a formal meeting set, set up you know, not to keep rescheduling things. So that's a really bad yeah. way to get things off on the wrong foot. Yeah. But probably the number one would be, you know, simply not listening. You know, you've got the manager coming to the meeting with an agenda 
that they've already worked out what they want to say and they're going to deliver it no matter what. It's almost like employees turning up, you know, they've, they're unhappy with their money and they've ruminized over it over the, over the weekend till they get themselves up to a state and they walk in on Monday morning. They've got a speech and they're going to make. Gi- I've got a speech to make and they give their boss the, both barrels. And when they walk in, perhaps their boss is in a really bad mood but they, 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 they're oblivious to it the and they go ahead anyway. You haven't yeah. read the situation. Yeah. So reading yeah. reading the, the landscape is really important to having a decent conversation and actually being in the here and now with your employees when you're having it as opposed to, you know, having your phone going and everything else going on or perhaps your, your email is dinging on your computer when you're trying to have a conversation or someone's mm-hmm. walking into the room and with a very urgent piece of advice or something like that. But they are times that really set the conversation off because it, you know, leaves you feeling, you know, like it's not important, it's not a priority and you're not treating me as a priority in your organisation. And it can be really damaging, really damaging by simply not focusing, even though they may not be actually, you know, the leader may not actually be aware that it's actually going on. And the employee may or may not tell them how they're feeling. Mm. There's a couple of interesting ones there. I, I see a pairing. You've talked about having negative intent and simply not listening. And then the other two were rescheduling meetings and not prioritizing or focusing while you're in the meeting. And there's two categories there for me, the negative intent and the simply not listening. It may be born from a lack of confidence in my ability to do this. So because I've been, you know, I've got to do it as a leader. I don't feel comfortable doing it. It's not my skill or my strength. So I've all, I'm coming with this speech. I've I'm all prepared. It doesn't yeah. matter what you do, even though you're the subject yeah. of the conversation. I've got something to say. I've got to do my job. I've got to do my half of it. Let's just get that bit done so I can feel mm. like I've got it done. I'm assuming someone who feels more confident and understands the nuance and the context and the the kind of the educational benefits of everything that we're talking about comes with a little more balance. It is not about them getting through this. It's about the outcome of the conversation. That's exactly right. Exactly right, David. And, you know, for the most part, most leaders do come to the conversation with with the right thing in mind. But they, coming back to what I said before about the being afraid of the consequences can, and not knowing how to do it can often um, derail the conversation before it even starts or mm. indeed during it. And the other two, rescheduling meetings, you know, that I can't remember if if it's ever happened to me, but it seems like such a cliche. You know, we've got this meeting scheduled. It's a development conversation about you and it's really processy, which is negative from the start. But not mm. only is it really processy and we've had to book it in because I've got you on my list, I'm going to reschedule it and reschedule it and reschedule it because more important things keep popping up. And the other thing is when you get me, when we finally do sit down for this meeting, if anything else happens around me, that's going to be more important than you. And that just brings me back as I have so many times in this podcast, it gets me thinking about Covey's quadrants, you know, that idea of the top right quadrant being not urgent, but really important as opposed to the top left quadrant, which is urgent and important. And if we forget to focus on those non-urgent but really important things and just keep mm. on putting out the fires that exist in the urgent quadrant, then mm. we're just going to grow and grow our urgent quadrant because whatever those things are that are popping up that are so urgent, those fires we need to put out, we know that if we spend time developing our people, 
improving systems, improving relationships, everything that lives in that top right quadrant, we're going to have fewer and fewer emergencies to put out. But if you're sitting there with your leader and they're willing to be interrupted for all of these little things that are happening around the business, Mm. then they are just telling you that this conversation is not important to me. This conversation, your development is not important to me. These little micro issues, Mm. these now, these right now issues are more important than you and your development. All right. They're great, Greg. They're the, that's the stuff that we should avoid. And that's the stuff that people might stumble into if they're not very skilled at this. Let's go through your top five now. The things that I can do that I can concentrate on as a leader to make sure that I'm doing a really good job of these career development conversations. Yeah, well, the the first one I'd say, Dave, is prepare for the conversation. Look, it might be an ad hoc conversation, in which case it's difficult to prepare for. But for the most part, they're going to be set meetings. You're going to set aside a time to have that sort of that development discussion. So it's worth putting in some time to prepare. And by that, I would really emphasize focusing on the questions you're going to ask rather than what you're going to feel like you want to tell your employee. So thinking about some really, really smart questions to ask is going to stimulate their thinking and their vision for their own career and their own development. That way you'll get much more, you'll get a better engagement and motivation from that than simply feeling the need to tell your employee something. So prepare for the meeting. So there's a little bit of, you can imagine the more arrogant leaders amongst us would feel as though I'm so senior, I'm so much more advanced in my Mm. career, in my place in this company. I don't even need to prepare for this conversation. I'm supposed to have a development conversation with you. I can just walk in here and wing it and you'll enjoy it because I'm so amazing. You got me thinking about- I was just going to say, that's a really bad mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Easy to imagine though. Easy right? to do, yeah. Yeah. Very easy to imagine, particularly when you're busy. You know, it's easy to think, oh, well, I'll just wing this, you know. And part of this idea of preparing on the surface seems like it kind of clashes with what we were saying earlier about the beauty of focusing on the conversation and not the process. It it got me thinking that maybe the best career conversations are the ones that just happen organically. So mm. But your advice is to prepare. So is there a place here for me as a leader to be preparing? I think, Greg, you're on my team. I need to have that conversation with you. I'm going to prepare for it, but I'm actually just going to wait for the best time to pop up and I'm going to take that opportunity so it's lovely and organic. I'm prepared because I've known it's going to happen, but I'm going to wait for the right moment, the right mood, the right event, the right time, the right place. Is that a nice way to go about it as a sophisticated leader? Absolutely. It, look, it may not be always practical, but if you can do that, picking your moment is just as important as what's going to happen in it, you know, mm. a, you know really crucially. And, you know, coming back to the point about uh, being in the here and now, you know, we've all heard about the four levels of listening. But when you look at cosmetic listening, which kind of looks as I'm listening, but I'm not, that's really terrible in terms of engagement. So if you've been at a a social gathering and the person you're talking to certainly happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to many of your listeners. You're talking to someone at a social gathering and the person you talk to is their eyes are darting all around the room for someone else more important than you to talk to. Someone better. And it can be, yeah, yeah, it can be quite disrespectful and and sometimes some, you know, downright hurtful or perhaps it's conversational listening. Well, I'm listening, but I'm only listening to the extent waiting for you to shut up so I can have my turn. You know, we really need to be into the deep listening phase, which is, my number two thing about tips, 
would be about if there was one thing that I could leave everyone on this podcast front with, it would be about enhancing your listening skills as a lifelong journey. And I don't like rating listening skills like one to five or one to ten because it kind of, if you rate yourself eight, it kind of feels like I'm I'm pretty much there. Whereas I don't, in my mind, I don't care where you place yourself on the scale. You've always got to keep improving. And by listening, I'm talking about both verbal and nonverbal cues. You know, the degree to which the person's animated when they're telling their story, the degree to which what their posture looks like, their tone of voice. So you're, you've got your radar up and you're really engaged with them. Now, you can't be deep listening all the time. It'd be exhausting. But in that time, in that development discussion, whether it's ad hoc or it's or it's a formal one, you've got to be in the here and now. That's why I say don't reschedule unless it's absolutely necessary because it sets it off on the wrong foot before you even start. So the, the, your first one was prepare and your second one is deep listening. And you're right, deep listening yep. is exhausting because I, I do that on this podcast, Greg. <laughs> I, I've obviously got to be really mm. absolutely tuned into what the guest is saying so I can ask the right questions and make it interesting for the listener and for myself. Yeah. And at the end of these, I'm just exhausted because, yeah. you know, I, I put more effort into these sort of 40 or 50 minutes than I do mm. to a lot of other periods of my day. So deep listening is exhausting. And we've mm. kind of, as leaders, got to be willing to take that hit and be get ourselves up for that and be willing That's to right. inject that level of energy because it's worth it. Because this, you know, this is a third of your job as a leader to do mm. this. I want to come back to the first one. And and you, you talked about questions, and I actually heard anecdotally a client of mine got some advice from an HR consultant who said, when you sit down to have a performance conversation, and, and I think this was particularly geared to when performance is not going so well, they said, one thing to not do is to start the conversation by saying, how do you think you're going? Because yeah. if you've got some <laughs> tough news to deliver yeah, to that yeah. other, to your employee, and you want to you want to create a picture of how they're performing and it's how it's impacting the team and the organization. You don't want them to be able to set the tone by saying, actually, I think I'm doing quite well, and then list all the things that they think they've achieved and all the positive contributions they've made because it's very, very hard to come back to, well, actually, we think you're going really badly and these are how we think you're going really badly. Do you have any advice like that? What do you think of that advice that I've just passed on secondhand? Is it right? I think that's terrific advice not to ask that because usually what happens in my experience is that it's, uh, the question is, how do you think you're going? Immediately followed with, well, let me tell you how I think you're going. <laughs> and it can be <laughs> So how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I would go back to the questions again in terms of assuming positive intent. And mm. it's not about how do you think you're going, but it's more about maybe what, what have you achieved through the year? rather than focusing necessarily on old miseries. And, you know, sure, we all learn by mistakes. We know that. But, you know, sometimes it's just better to focus on, you know, what you've achieved and building on strength. So I'm a firm believer in not so much worrying about weaknesses, but focusing on amplifying strengths. And it's not to say that we we ignore our weaknesses, but it's just saying it's a much more positive and energizing discussion and usually productive discussion when we talk about how to amplify our strengths than you know diving deep into what we know what what we think we're no good at so mm. uh, and coming back to back to that question of, about preparing and what i meant by that too was preparing and not rehearsing so you can't yeah, that's okay. a really crucial difference i think that, mm. that i'd like to make because 
you can't rehearse these conversations because that's when it becomes like a process and becomes bureaucratic. Mm. But if you actually mm. prepare a range of questions, you may not use, you may not actually use any of, well, maybe not mm. many of them or not mm. all of them, depending on how that conversation goes, but you've got them in your back pocket. Think I've got yeah. a bit of a mud map here, but be prepared for yeah. navigational change in the discussion if it goes mm. in a direction that you don't expect. And mm. that can happen for the employee as much as for mm. the manager. But, you know, so you remind the, 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 me. I was just going to say, just uh, that making that reinforcing that point again, that preparing for the conversation is not rehearsing it. In fact, far from the exact opposite. Preparation and rehearsal is really interesting. You remind me of actually being a podcast interviewer or an interviewer. You can come along with a set of questions, and, and I'm sure we've all heard podcasts where no matter what the guest says, the questioner is just going to ask their next question anyway almost ignoring what the response has been and miss fabulous opportunities to talk about really quality things. And Mm. it's really, it's frustrating as a viewer or as a listener to watch that happen. And it kind of shows the interviewer as a rank amateur when that Mm. does happen. But the other side of that. That's so true, David. That's what you've just explained is exactly what we should be doing in career discussions, what you're doing in preparing for for podcasts, you know, so Mm. that- that's exactly what we should be doing. But, you know, the other side of that is I, I try and be very loose with guests. I have a, I have exactly, as you say, a bit of a template, a bit of a mud map. Yeah. There's certain points I want to hit, but I want to have an organic conversation. But every now and then, you know, it kind of gets away from me. And we're not <laughs> anywhere near where I want it to be. And the guests yeah. have kind of taken hold of it and taken it somewhere where I don't think is valuable. And we've mm. gone down a rabbit hole and I'm just not sure how to find the ladder to get out of that hole. And I'm sure it can be the same way for career conversations. But, you know, of those two negatives, that either that really robotic, I'm going to ask you my list of questions no matter what you say, compared to occasionally losing control of a situation and not getting a quality conversation, I'd rather the latter if I was going to tend towards a mistake because in between times I'm going to get a whole lot of really good, natural, authentic conversations. You know, that's so right. David, I'm glad you raised that point because I've got a saying that you don't know the question you've asked till you've heard the answer to that question. Mm. You know, when you've mm. asked a question, and I'm sure some of your listeners would have found this, when you ask a question and the person answers and you think, well, that actually wasn't what I was asking, but that's really interesting information nonetheless. Yeah. And yeah. and sometimes you can go into where it's a career discussion or performance review or any sort of development discussion, and it goes in a completely different direction, but it could be quite a creative and, and really, really powerful development discussion that you mm. actually just almost throw out the game plan and focus on that. And maybe you need to regroup and come back rather than, you know, as you said, I'm going to deliver this come what may. You know, because yeah. when you get on a flow, and a great way to do that when you're in the discussion is to simply say, you know, tell me more about that. The beautiful thing mm. about all this, David, it's it's really trainable. It's highly coachable. It's not rocket science. A lot of it's common sense, but we just don't stop to think about it. And having the opportunity just to put in some really nice little questions, that's really interesting, David. Tell me more about that. And yeah. just see what happens. Just see yeah. and use silence. A lot of people, not just leaders and managers, but a lot of people are really uncomfortable with silence. And, mm-hmm. you know, they. but sometimes it's best, really best to leave it hang there and avoid stepping in 
you know, and into the void. Saving the, the situation. Mm. And saving the situation can be really uncomfortable, can feel really uncomfortable, but sometimes holding that silence and letting, letting it hang there is, in fact, the best thing. And sometimes you so can just break the silence by saying something like, if it's perhaps an awkward point, perhaps something's come up that is a bit awkward, you can say, well, what's running through your mind right now? Rather than how do you feel? And if they're not feeling great, well, so, you know, you'll, you'll elicit a negative response. Well, how do you expect me to feel? Rather than mm. do that, you can just be, well, David, what's running through your mind right at this moment? And just mm. see what happens. But it comes yeah, back to what you one. said about letting letting it, 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 there's nothing wrong with letting it run away. I mean, what's the worst mm. that's going to happen? You regroup, come back and say, look, that's been a terrific conversation. We haven't got to everything we wanted to in this meeting, but why don't we uh, schedule another one next week? That was fantastic. And yeah. the person, the employees more than likely want to be energised to come back and have a conversation with you rather than being yeah. feeling beaten up for, you know, whatever they may not have achieved in the in the time frame. It's great stuff, Greg. Now, I've interrupted you terribly. You were talking through your top five. We've talked about prepare, yeah. where we got to asking questions. We talked about deep listening and that the the exhaustive nature of deep listening, but but how that's respectful and that's what's required for this part of leadership. What's number three? I would say where you started, David, that this uh, podcast around leadership and, and vision and motivation and development, I, I think whilst organisations need vision and strategy, so do individuals. And I think helping the individual craft the vision and, and the and the goals and mutually agreeing those goals is really important and letting the employee lead the conversation. So it's it's their story, let them tell it. And as part of that that point too is around I like narrative a narrative style of career conversations because you know there's thousands of or hundreds of different assessments and they're all valuable in their own right. But I found that a narrative approach it takes longer but it's actually far more valuable. So let them lead the conversation. It's their story to tell. Let them tell it. But as part of that, help them and guide them. So be the the guide on the side, not the sage on the stage, as the saying goes. That's great. That's number three. That's number, yeah. four. number four would be around ethical considerations. This can be a bit of a dry topic and confidentiality, but it's absolutely crucial. So confidentiality is just a given but you can't breach confidentiality in any way, shape, or form. Otherwise, you break trust. But as part of that, be mindful about the ethical considerations. You're more than likely, if you're a leader, you're going to trip across them. In my experience, ethical matters are rarely black and white. They're often many shades of grey. So my tip for leaders with that is, if you haven't got a mentor, it's perhaps good to think about that, either an internal or an external mentor, where you can actually share certain you know, perhaps it is a tricky situation you've come across. You're not too sure how to handle it. We can go and discuss it with them where it doesn't breach confidentiality of the individual. So I'd be really have my radar up about confidential, uh, sorry, about ethical conversations and don't ever delve into therapy. You know, if, if the person needs therapy, they're in the wrong room. And that's, I can't emphasize that. You can refer them on to a professional and that's that's and most organisations have an EAP service. If they don't have, which is an obvious place to refer them to, if they don't have that. Perhaps referring them to a GP if you're really concerned about their mental state. But you don't want to get into therapy because if you get into something and someone says my life's in a mess 
what are you going to do with that? You know, so, you know, yeah. leaders, and that's a, a scenario for professionals only. So that's a really good piece of advice. And there's there's a whole lot in that ethical considerations and, and understanding where that line is for therapy and what to do there. Yeah. There's so much to consider there. That's its own podcast. But yep. there is one really clean one, and that's the confidentiality. And should I be really mm. overt? We sit down and I say, Greg, you probably know this, but I just want to reinforce that this is a confidential conversation. I want you to feel completely reassured that everything we say right now is between you and me. Definitely, because when I'm working with an employee or a client in that regard, I say that right up front because it's the only way in which I can Every help session? Them. No, not every session, no, right at the beginning you just of the engagement. Yeah. yeah. If you feel like you've got a need to reinforce it, but it, you need to be really explicit about it, never leave mm. it as implicit um, yeah. because the person may be wondering about, well, who's this being shared with? Who's it not being mm. shared with? Yeah. Is it really confidential? Yeah. And it must be confidential. And, of course, to state the obvious there, you could have a 1,000 conversations that you keep confidential, but if you breach the trust in one of those conversations and – people find out about it, you're done in it's terms done. of trust yep. as a leader. Trust, it's gone, yeah. The relationship shot. And the, the fifth right. one would be around, and I'll wrap these two together as one, a, a written career plan, but it falls into the support and follow-up piece. So I've got a, a saying that if it's not written down, then it's not career coaching. So there needs to be a written plan. It needs to be documented. It's a way to hold each other accountable for what's going to come from it. And you know, perhaps the manager's going to do some things and the employee's going to do some things, but it does need to be documented. It doesn't need to be, it can be dot points. It can be, it doesn't have to be, you know, some wordy. In fact, it's better if it isn't a long wordy document, but just a, a written career plan. In the book, I've got a template in the back of the book for people to use. And the simpler, the better, in my view. I like simple because simple things tend to get done and uh, complicated ones tend not to get done. And as part of that, that also wraps up the, the support and follow-up process. That's really important that we follow through on commitments. If the leader said, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, then the leader needs to deliver that. And if there's a reason why that can't be done, they need to be explicit about saying, well, look, I know I said this, but I've hit these obstacles and I want to bring you into that conversation. And that's all about being authentic. This whole thing that you're talking about at the end, writing it down and supporting and following up, because this process, this sitting down and having these type of conversations, it reeks of similarity between going to the gym as an individual. <laughs> that thing that you know you should do, you want yeah. to get it started and you go a few times, but there's this lack of follow-up and it just kind of fizzles out to nothing. If you yeah. start these type of conversations because you know you should do it, because you're trying mm. to be a good leader, you want to invest in your people – but it's mm. just not part of your habit and you're easily distracted by bright, shiny things or fires that need to be put out, then if they fizzle out, it's almost worse because you haven't kept your commitments. You said you were going to meet regularly and you haven't done it. It's almost worse than not doing it at all, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right, David. And you know, it, it's crucial to, to follow up and it shows authenticity that you really are concerned. You've prioritized it their development in your leadership hierarchy and also from the respect of incorporating this into your everyday leadership skill set. So this isn't something that we do from time to time. This should be something that is just part of our everyday leadership skill set. And that's, again, another reason why I wanted to, to produce this book was to 
provide a really practical, not an academic book, a really practical guide that you can pick up, read the relevant chapter and actually go and put into practice and uh, without having to go through telephone books of of uh, models and theories and what have you. This is all geared around being practical. It's a fantastic practical book too, underpinned with concepts and and philosophies. I like it, Greg. It's called Career Conversations by Greg Smith. You can get it from Wiley Books. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Greg. Oh, it's been terrific, Dave. I've really, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Love the, as you can see, it's something I'm passionate about. But uh, thanks very much. It's been terrific. And that was Greg Smith. I loved it. Some really fantastic practical advice. Greg's top five tips for leading effective career conversations. Number one, be prepared. Even if you're having unscheduled conversations, waiting for the right time, you should always be prepared. Number two, listen deeply. It can be exhausting, but it's a must for these types of conversations. Remember, this is their career being discussed. It means a lot to them, so it must mean a lot to you. Be completely engaged. Number three, lead the conversation, but let the individual craft their own vision. Number four, remember the ethics. These conversations are always confidential, but they're never therapy. And number five, develop a written career plan and follow up. Don't let these conversations be a one-off. That's almost worse than not doing it at all. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Greg on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.